Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. What we've been talking about is grace. I'm just going to um, just, you know, just do a little quick overview just to get us all back on the same page. But when I started this study... Um, I started with the definition that we've always had, God's unmerited favor. It's just kind of stamped in us. And what I found was that it's, you know, we almost look at that like it's um, static. But it's very dynamic, just like God. When he says, I am, the word am there is, in, in the Hebrew... It, it literally is an active verb, meaning that God is actively, dynamically expressing who he is all the time. He's doing, not, not just being. And um, grace is doing. So I, I worked for months on it, trying to get enough words to explain grace and one day, God just dropped it in my spirit. Four words. That's the best definition I ever heard. Love expressed is grace defined. And I went, whoa, that is cool. Love expressed is grace defined. And um, so when God is expressing his love, grace is pouring out from that throne into our lives. And the love of God is, is so different than ours, but it is that passionate, dynamic desire to do only good to the object of love, regardless of the response of the one loved. It is a passionate motivation to be in the presence of, to fellowship with, and possess for his own the object of love. That's God love. That's different than our love. And you and I can't love like that. Grace through us loves like that. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And um, so I, I was, I'm kind of a wonk on science and stuff. And I was reading, I don't know, some physicist guy. And he was saying that there are at least 19 dimensions to the universe. And I'm going, 19? I can't even think of like three, you know? And um, I thought, if there are 19 dimensions to the universe, God created the universe, then there are at least 19 dimensions to God. And every dimension is limitless and boundless. So when I started to look at grace, which is really, it's the manifestation of God's love, and God is love, then grace has dimensions and grace does different things. And um, so we started looking at what I've called dimensions. It's, it's really not, but dimensions of, of grace. And the first one is that God's, God's grace was poured out when he created mankind because he desired to love. And 
We were made out of the out of the sheer love of God. We are the product of His love. We're grace. And once we were made, He began to work in us, draw us and woo us and fellowship with us, and then we fell. Then He had to take care of the sin. When grace literally came down to earth in the middle of our mess, God's perfect. He never looked the other way with sin. He dealt right with it. Looked it right in the face. Paid the price in full. So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. So when you look at grace, and this is where it got kind of hard for us, we've always said, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that's not true. You were a sinner who was saved by grace. But now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's way different. And once you're born again and you come under the righteousness of God, God never sees you any other way but righteous. You, you move out from under the law and you move under grace where everything's paid for. So then we ended up dealing with this issue of sin. And scripture says, if you're in Christ Jesus, you can't sin. That's 1 John. 1 John 1 says, you have to come to the realization that you have need of a Savior. And when you confess your sins and you ask Him, He'll come in. But then 1 John chapter 2 says, those who are in Christ Jesus cannot sin. And the reason that you cannot sin doesn't mean you can't mess up. But it's not, it is not held against you as sin. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. So then you go, well fine, well what do you call mess ups? And this is what the enemy wants us to think. When you sin, you fall out of the grace of God. When you're born again, you can't fall out of the grace of God. Um, you can short-circuit the goodness that flows into your life by messing up. But the grace of God is always toward you. It's just we're the ones that have control of the faucet. Um, and God is not interested in you messing up, apologizing, getting forgiveness and going your way. That is not what he's about. You and I look at that as though we're, we're even. And then we sin and then we end up in a hole. So then you have to confess to be forgiven and then you're even again and then you mess up and then you get in the hole. But that's not the way it is. Paul says where sin is, grace abounds. There is so much grace that you will never be in the hole with God. So there is nothing that you can do to be forgiven. It's already done. When you ask for forgiveness for sins, God's going, it's done. What more do you want me to do? I've given everything I have. It's paid for. It's canceled. So then what do you do with mess ups? And that's actually, it's... it's um, um, Hebrews chapter 12. God wants to work in your life. When you mess up, it's more painful than just saying sorry. 
the Holy Spirit comes in and he gnaws at you and he chews on you and he works on you until he takes you to a better place. He is never going to say, that's okay, so you can go on your way and do the same stupid thing again. God wants to change you. We want to be transformed from glory to glory to glory. And that is a work of grace. And that's the one that gave us the most trouble. Talking about grace from that standpoint. So this is God working in us. The final dimension is God working through us. And becoming that perfect vessel. Not, not perfect in, you know, we're not perfect, but a perfect vessel in that we are completely, 100%, totally yielded. So that God can do with us what He wants and work through us how He wants. And that's when grace throws, flows in us and then through us into the world. We're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Christ. When He came into the world and walked among men, the grace of God flowed in torrents through him. And in John, I think John 7, he says, you know, if you drink from the water that I give you, rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. In John 3, he speaks to the little woman and says, if you drink of the water of life, there will be a spring bubbling up unto eternal life. When you're born again, that spring bubbles up unto eternal life. It's living water. Living water meaning that in, in, um, just outside of the area where they used to do all the sacrifices, where the priests used to do the sacrifices in the temple, there was a huge pool. And that pool had an opening where the water would flow into it and another opening where it would flow out. So the water was constantly moving and bubbling. And they called that living water. And people who, would, who were going to offer sacrifices, who were going in the temple, would have to wash in the living water. So Jesus was saying, now you have that washing water, that living water in you, washing you clean every day. That's how you can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But then he said, later he said, there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will be given and that water then will become a river flowing out of your belly. Meaning that the grace of God that was bubbling up inside now is going to flow out of you into the world. And it's, it, um, it has to be done that way. Jesus was never dead to God. He was never, he was never had sin in him at all. So he never had a need to be born again like you and I do. He always was alive to the things of God. But until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, not one bit of the rivers of living water flowed out of his belly. The manifestations of grace did not show up until after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when he came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit came down on him and stayed. And John says he was filled without limit with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in the earth is God's agent for grace to, to operate. It's through the Holy Spirit that the grace of God enters the world. 
And if you and I are not willing to be just vessels, willing to be used, fearless, but willing to be used, the grace of God, the flow is stopped. We're right where you are. Wherever you are, the flow stops. As much as you can pour forth, you will. And there's an anointing for what you do. But there is so much more. It, it's boundless. It's limitless. Um, and so God um, made a way for you and I who, who are just earthen vessels to contain the very power of the Holy Spirit in us. Ephesians says it's a power so great when we tap into the love of God that it is able to do through us infinitely higher and beyond anything that we can think or hope or imagine or pray for. You know, so we ought to be out on that edge believing God for the impossible. Believing for the possible, that's easy. But we ought to be out on the edge believing for the impossible if we ever want to see the impossible. Um, so in order to get the body of Christ organized so that the Holy Spirit could flow through, he told the disciples, he, in John 20, he came into the room, walked through the walls, which I think is really cool. I can't wait to be able to do that. <laughs> Just because I could. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So that is a a restoration of what was lost in, in Genesis 2. When God formed man out of the earth, he breathed divine essence into his man. When Adam fell, that divine essence was lost. So when Jesus came up out of the grave, the first thing he did was breathe on the disciples and say, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. Now if that had been enough, we wouldn't have needed Acts chapter 1. But Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, stay where you are. Do not go anywhere until you receive the promise of the Spirit. So there's more. And he said, and when the Spirit comes, you will be a witness unto me. Well, he doesn't need a witness. So what does he mean by being a witness unto me? That literally, that phrase in the Greek means you will become like the one you follow. Which means you will become a Christian, a little anointed one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. Christians are little anointed ones. And in John 14 he says, then the things that I do you will do also. And greater things than these. Because I go to the Lord, right? Because I go to the Father. So, you and I should look like, take on the attributes of the one we follow. And that's a big deal. Um, and the church has been handicapped because we haven't been taught a lot about that. In fact, um, the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit's a messy business. And a lot of churches just don't want to get too involved there. The Holy Spirit's welcome. But he needs to sit down and be quiet on the back pew, you know, and then he's allowed to stay. But if he gets messy, he's got to go. You know, we're just not having it. And um, so the church has been relatively powerless. The church proper. And I'm tired of being relatively powerless. 
I, I want to see the grace of God flowing in this earth. I want to see God's power working. I want to be like Stephen and Philip. You know what? They weren't anything. They were just table waiters. But hands were laid on them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Hands were laid on them. A supernatural anointing was on them just to wait on tables. And oh my gosh, waiting on tables, what did they do? They healed people right and left. Miracles were performed right and left. And they were nothing more than table waiters. So what are we doing? That's when I'm getting frustrated. This is where I, this is where I am right now with myself. What are we doing? There's so much more. Why, why are our feet stuck in the mud? Why are we stopping? Um, if it's good, if God said you need it, why are we deciding, well, maybe just not that we don't need. Just like some things we do, but not everything. So then we started talking about things that hinder that flow of the Holy Spirit. And um, I want to start in 1 Corinthians 12. Quit talking and let God do some of it here. 1 Corinthians 12. A lot of hot air floating around. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> um... Just the first verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. In the first place, gifts is really not in the original transcript. It should be concerning spiritual matters. I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts there is actually um, charismata. Two words for gifts in the Greek. One is dorie. That means a real gift, like a present given to you, like a birthday present. Something that's not um, ever going to be taken back. The only dorie that God has given us is the Holy Spirit. And everything that goes with it. What more do you need? You know, new life, forgiveness of sins, empowerment to live your own life and empowerment to help other people. What more do we need? That's the gift. The Holy Spirit. Dorie. Everything else that's listed gift is a charismata. Charis is the Greek word for grace. Charismata is the manifestation of grace. So when he's talking to them here in Corinthians, and they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've read this, you know they were running amok with the Holy Spirit in church because they were trying to work out of the flesh. And um, he says, I want to get this straightened out with you about these manifestations of grace in the body. You've got to get it straight. And then he begins to teach them about what this is. So when, when our church started giving out tests, I don't know if anybody else's church ever did that, but when we joined the church here, you, you take a test to find out what your gift is. And um, if, if I had just gone with what that said, I would just be an intercessor. This class would never have been formed. You know, you can't, you can't put God in a box. And he's not going to put you in a box. He's going to use you just like he uses every vessel. 
You know, I mean, girls understand this. You got a whole row of mason jars. You know, and that mason jar is just a willing vessel. You know, and you can put orange juice in it, or you can put pencils in it, or you can put jelly in it, or you can put green beans in it. But that jar is going to be used for whatever you want it to be used for. I turned them into candle holders this Christmas. <laughs> so you can make a mason jar in anything you want because it's a willing vessel. And that's what God wants. He wants willing vessels. You guys got to go. Oh. Love you and God bless. God bless. It's going to be good. It's all good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Grandma. Hey, Graduates, God bless you. Sandy, yeah. what's the website he wants to write? Oh, it's um, yeah, Bedford United Methodist Church. Um, oh my gosh, look at this. Um, is that the best Christmas present you ever had? Here, the, the website? Is that what you want? Yeah, the website. Just let take that with me. Here, Lewis, take that with you. It's, it's on, on there. The and when you. Oh, I'm so excited. I want to know everything next month for sure. Um, yeah, when you get in there, if you look under. Um, um, media. Yeah, get under media and then just look for Sandy's Bible study. Okay. You, you can find it. Hey, thank you guys for your help. Oh, God bless you. I just, I am so excited for you. I will be praying. All right, thank you, Miss Sandy. Yeah. Thank you for everything. I wish you got to stay with us a little more than just once, but. Hey, thank you. See ya. I could just put them in my pocket and take them home. They're just so sweet. Mm. Patrick was just showing me he's been estranged from his daughters for um, several years now. And, um, and uh, he and his wife have started talking and his wife is beginning to trust Patrick. And Patrick got to see his girls over Christmas for the first time. So he's been Facebooking with them and being able to talk to him in just the last few months. But he got to see him. That's what he was showing me. I thought, oh my goodness. We've been praying about that for a long time. Patrick's been, he, he went through the program and now he's, um, he's the one that's taking care of the guys when they come here. and He's in charge of this group. So he's, uh, he's doing great things with Teen Challenge. So. But what a great, you know, what a great gift. God's just good. He does the most amazing things. Amen. Okay, so back to where we were. In order to get us all arranged, God, and I just love it because he created our body, then he uses a body, one single body, to explain the body of Christ. And um, there are five points on the body that everybody sees. You got two feet, two hands, and a head. Other things are, you know, undergarments and what have you. They're covered up. Not necessarily always seen. Some are and some aren't, depending on the season. And the style of dress that you choose to wear. There you go. <laughs> but um, <coughs> they're the things that you see. You know, the feet take us where we need to go. The hands minister to us and other people. 
you know, and the head communicates and shares. And um, that's just, that is the outward look of the body. But none of those things work unless the spinal column is working. If the nervous system isn't working, nothing works. If the heart stops beating, nothing works. If the liver stops, nothing works. So just because these things are seen doesn't mean they're more important. It just means that, that there are certain things in the body that are visible, more visible to the public than others. But without the heart, without the lungs, without the liver, without the spinal column, without all of that, nothing in the body functions. So every part of the body is important. Every part of the body is important. And um, again, it's not your gifting, the place where you are in your body. My hand's not gifted as a hand. It's just a hand. God put it there. And he anoints and lets me use my hands with an anointing or without an anointing. But he anoints and he uses, but so can I use, right? And um, so when you think about the body of Christ, there are visible parts of the body. And we call those offices. Um, you're in 1 Corinthians, go to um, 27, verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. There are two more that go with that that are listed in Romans and that is um, evangelists and pastors. But um, those are offices that are set in the church. So it's evangelists, pastors, Prophets, teachers, and apostles. Um, not in that order, not in God's order, but just that those are the five offices. People are not, people are not who are set there. The offices are set in the body, and the offices never change. People are willing vessels who are moved in and out of those offices as God sees fit. I've known people who were called as pastors and were pastored for years and then went into a teaching ministry. I've known people who pastored for years and suddenly God called them to evangelism. You can't, you can't put anything in a box. You just know that he set those offices in the church. It's not a gifting. Okay? It is an office in the church. And when you step into that office... As God places you there, there are certain anointings that follow you there. Anointings that you need to be able to manifest. And um, so let's just look at those offices. They're there for one reason. The work of ministry. That means they keep the body organized and working. Second of all, they perfect the saints. They perfect the body. And third, they edify or build up the body. That's what they do. Okay? so it's the work of ministry perfecting the saints and edifying the body building it up edify is the word oikodomeo and it literally means to construct 
to build, to repair, to whatever. That's what it means when, when it's talking about building the body. Okay. So those offices have been set in the body for that purpose. Now, it said, if you go back to that scripture, it says God has set some, some what? Not people, some ministry offices in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers. Now, after he has set the offices, after that, after those offices have been set, then the charismata begin to manifest through them. Okay? To these ends, there are miracles that follow. Gifts of healings, and that word gifts should be charismata, plural. Manifestations of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Those are manifestations of the, of the grace that flows through these people in these offices. Okay? It's not your single gifting. Okay? Um, maybe one year you're called to be chairman of the board at the church. Maybe you are. There will be an anointing that follows that when you're put there by God. If you put yourself there, forget it. Everything dries up. But when God moves you into that place, there will be an anointing that follows. The anointing of governments. The anointing of helps. The anointing of whatever is needed there um, to help you fill that office, that place. And um, so when we start to look at these, this is where we left off last time we were talking about these. The apostle is a person who is sent. They take the gospel and they go. And they just teach the gospel everywhere they go. Those are apostles. Um, Faye Badgery has come to this community so many times. She is a classic apostle. She comes and meets in churches and in homes and wherever. And she's always just speaking the gospel, telling the gospel. But anointings follow her. There are anointings of healings. There are anointings of miracles. There are anointings of prophecy on her. And those anointings flow through her as, as an apostle when she shows up. But she's really an apostle. Prophets. Every one of us is called to prophesy. Every one of us is called to prophesy. We all ought to be prophesying. But a prophet, someone standing in that office, is a person who supernaturally receives revelation from God concerning the mind and the purposes of God. And it usually deals with the future. Present circumstances and how they affect the future. That's what a prophet does. Evangelists, those who go and bring in people. Not only do they preach the gospel, but they bring people in. Billy Graham is a classic example of that. And we talked about the fact that he never acknowledged the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as a willing vessel, he stepped into that role of evangelism and those anointings followed him. Now I believe, and I think he does too now, that there was more that would have followed him had he received the baptism. Um, but um, it, it's one of the regrets he has in life because he thought he knew so much about the Holy Spirit when he didn't. And um, God straightened him out on that pretty quick. But um, evangelists touch men's hearts 
and bring them to the Lord. That's what evangelists do. Pastors. Pastors are the shepherds. They're the herdsmen. They're the overseers and the directors and the managers. And those special anointings follow him or her wherever they go. And they protect the flock. They lead the flock to water and, and grass. They are not the teachers, but they will lead you to where you can be taught. They edify, they strengthen, they, they um, encourage, and they grow the flock. If you want to know what kind of a shepherd's in charge of a church, look at the increase of the flock. And look at the physical condition of the flock. And then you'll know whether you have a natural pastor. We have a natural born pastor in our church. Um, he is a fierce defender of this church. I have seen him address all kinds of spirits that walk into this church that don't belong here. And I've seen him remove people, even in painful situations, to protect this body. We, you, you guys don't see it up front, but I'm telling you, he is a defender of this church and a protector of this body. He always is pointing us to the word. Get in small groups. Get in your Bible. Study. Stay focused. It's the only way you're going to grow. It's the only way you're going to get fed and watered. So he's always leading us there. He can never make a sheep drink. You can't ever make a sheep eat. But he'll lead you there. And then the, and then the, the herd is... Um, the fold is multiplied. When, when the sheep are healthy, the fold multiplies. And oh my goodness, look at what has happened to this church in the last 10 years. Um, it is just incredible. We've doubled in size and we're still going. You know, um, He is a true pastor. I just I always have to stand up for that. Some people have left this church angry because Jeff doesn't teach like they do on TV for an hour. He's not a teacher, he's a pastor. You cannot expect a pastor to be the teacher and the evangelist and, and every other uh, office. He's a pastor. He will speak to the congregation about things that the whole congregation needs to know about. The Lord told me one time he knows his audience. So don't mess with him. And um, So I don't mess with him. He knows his audience. And um, that's what he does. But he leaves the teaching to those who are put in the office of teacher. And we have Oh, so many in this church. We are so blessed with that. Um, and then, of course, teachers. Every single human being in this room is called to teach. You are all called to teach. Whether you're teaching a neighbor something that you just learned, whether you're teaching your children about the Word, whatever, we are all called to teach. But there is an office of a teacher where there is an anointing and there is a revelation or an unfolding of the word that has supernatural consequences in it. And that's at the office of a teacher. Um, what does Paul say about that? Hell burns a little hotter for teachers than for anybody else. Just saying. Okay. So those are the fivefold ministries. Now, after that, Paul says, after... They're set. Then come the manifestations of um, <clears throat> of the of grace. Now, all of these manifestations should be flowing through us. Where I don't care if you're the liver. I don't care if you're the gizzard. I don't. There's not a gizzard in us. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oops. But um, I don't care what what your place is in the body. 
You know, if you're just a tendon in the elbow, you know, or a little tiny muscle in the little finger, I don't care. Whatever it is, we're all called to have these things flowing through us. Um, go to Mark 28. Leave your finger in 2 Corinthians 12. But flip back to Mark 28. I mean, sorry, Mark 16. Mark 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read Matthew 28 to you, but we're going to read Mark 16 together. Matthew 28, this is Jesus at the very end, at verse 18, he says, All power is given to me, that power is authority, is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. He didn't say only teachers. What did he say? He said, you go therefore and teach. Not, not a one of us is off the hook for teaching. You can't say, oh, I can't teach. It's not my gifting. Come on. We're all called to be teachers. <clears throat> Alright? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, pastors have relegated baptism to themselves, which is not, not here. It's not in Scripture. But um, some things that Pastors have relegated to themselves. Um, baptizing. He says, go and teach and baptize. Philip was a waiter of tables. Yeah. Well, it's the organized church that's done that. That's right. It's the, the organized church. That's right. Um, but it has been relegated to pastors to do that. But Philip was a waiter of tables. Mm -hmm. And God said, I want you to go down and join yourself to that Ethiopian man. So he ran miles, caught up with this guy, got in his um, chariot with him. Preached the gospel to him. Taught him out of Isaiah. Preached and taught. Oh my gosh. He's just a waiter of tables. Touched his heart. Touched his heart. Brought him to the Lord. The man said, can I be baptized? Philip says, sure. And he jumped out and baptized him. Okay. Philip was not called to any of the fivefold ministries. It wasn't his gifting. It was, he was just a waiter of tables. But that's what he did because God said do it. That's where we are. We all ought to be running out to find that Ethiopian if God says it. Get up, get up in the chariot. Teach them. Preach to them. Get them saved. Baptized. And brought into the kingdom. That's our job. Everybody's. Okay? And God, when he puts you in that position, will give you a supernatural anointing to do it. That's what the resident power of the Holy Spirit is. Whatever he's asked you to do, the power's there to do it. But you have to be the willing vessel. And if you shut it off, then he can't use you in a way that he would love to. We miss a lot of excitement that way. Mark, are you there? Look at verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Wow. We're supposed to preach and teach. Interesting. And he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. For he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs, these manifestations of grace will follow them that believe. Okay, that does not say it will only follow somebody with that gifting, does it? It says it will follow them that believe. Believe what? That God is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. All of these manifestations will follow us. Okay, they will take up serpents, 
Paul got bitten by that very deadly poisonous snake. But because he was under the anointing of God and doing what God wanted him to do, he just shook the snake off. It never got to him. It doesn't mean you need to invite him into your church and dance with them. Okay? But if you run into a snake, any kind of poisonous snake, I don't care if it's spiritual, sorry Satan, or physical, if you're doing God's bidding, it won't hurt you. And I said, no evil thing can hurt you. Right. If you're in the center of God's will, that anointing will keep you. You can drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt you. You will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Oh my gosh, does that mean that we should be able to see the anointing power of healing running through each one of us? Yes, it does. That's exactly what it means. Um, there is nothing there that you and I should not have flowing in our lives when we need it. Okay, now back to 1 Corinthians 12. All right. Going to start reading with um, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. First Corinthians, what verse? Chapter, chapter? twelve. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, these three, these chapters, well, twelve and fourteen, are as scary to a lot of Christians as Revelations. People don't want to go here, or unless they can rationalize it and control it. Okay. Look at verse four. What I'm going to tell you to do is just let it go. Let it go. Isn't that frozen? What is it? Let it go. Let it go. I'm tired of that song. I am tired of that song. I hear it every day. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, let it go. All right? Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. That should be diversities of manifestations of grace. There are different ways that grace is manifested. But there's only one Holy Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are different ways that these manifestations are used, but there's one Lord that tells us how to do it and directs it. And there are diversities of operations. In other words, the Holy Spirit can do a lot of different things, but it's the same God who works all in all. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. Okay? But the manifestations of the Spirit, and, and see, and it's translated correctly there, the manifestations of grace, of the Spirit, are given to every man, not one man at a time individually, but to every man. The manifestations are given to every single Man, every one of us. If you've got the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every manifestation belongs to the Holy Spirit. He's in there. Okay? He is in there. And so is the capability to, to, to see these manifestations. Every one of them. As scary as that is. And why are they there? To profit with all. To, to bring blessings to everybody around you. They're not, they're not for us. Those manifestations are to bless somebody else. Okay? For to one is given 
by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, a word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretations of tongues. But these all work that one and the self-same spirit. Dividing to every man severally as he wills. So they all work, but they're divided to every man as, according to what the Holy Spirit wills. Whatever you need, wherever you are, that's what's going to show up. That's what's going to manifest. But the trouble is, if you don't expect manifestations, you ain't going to see any. you got to believe. Them that believe. Okay? You have to believe that they're all ours. Now, God is so awesome. Numbering in the Bible is everything. It's very powerful. The number three in Scripture is the complete fullness of God. One Spirit, one Lord, one Father and God. Three. That is the divine fullness and completeness of God. Three. Everything that God is. Right there. And there are nine manifestations of His grace. And they're actually divided into three categories. So you have three threes. Three divine complete fullnesses of God. Alright? But those three threes equal nine. Nine is the fruit of the Spirit. All of this is fruit that's born by the Spirit. Okay? You and I can't gen it up. We can't do it. Only God can do this through us. Okay? We're, we're, we just, we're the limbs that just hang out there and let the fruit bear. But you have to trust God. You have to have your roots planted deep in His love. You have to be feeding on the Word. You have to be full of faith. And then these things begin to produce. Okay. <clears throat> there are three gifts or endowments of revelation. Um, three of them have to do with revelation. Supernatural knowledge from God. Something will be revealed that wasn't. And that is word of wisdom... Word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. Okay? That revelation can concern facts and events, purposes, motives, origins, destinies. It can, it can concern human and divine and satanic things. Okay? It, it covers a broad variety of things, those three revelation gifts. God can give revelation about any of that. Alright, there are three manifestations of power. Manifestations that do something. Faith, miracles, and manifestations of healing. Those are power endowments or power anointings. I call them power surges. Um, because they don't stay. The power surges when you need it. You know, it's always resident. The power is always there. But it surges when you need it. Where you need it. So I just call them power surges. But, you know, you can call it whatever you want. That's just me. Just help me to see it years ago. And then the last three 
are utterance or inspirational endowments. These are endowments that speak. Some reveal, some do something, and some declare, some speak. So prophecy, diverse tongues, and interpretation of tongues are the ones that speak. You know, and you think, tongues and interpretation of tongues, how weird is that? You don't ever hear that. But it was funny, this week on TV, I was listening to a pastor teaching on television. And uh, he got through, and a man stood up in the back of the auditorium, spoke in tongues, and then interpreted it. And it was beautiful. And it was right on. So it happens a lot. It's just, you know, if you're not expecting it and you don't believe for it, you're not going to see it. But mostly, tongues and interpretation of tongues is for unbelievers. Okay, it, it, it is produced for unbelievers. Um, you know, and I told you about... <laughs> I told you about... Um, <clears throat> Well, we'll move on. Because I've already told you. Forget it. Okay. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, let it go. All right, here we go. Um, Kenneth Hagin said, this is, uh, Kenneth Hagin, I, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with him or not, Rainbow Bible College. And, and uh, he's, he has passed on, but uh, back in the early 70s, um, or in the mid-70s, I, I found Kenneth Hagin and he, he was my lifeline. He, he's the one that, that um, caught me first. And um, he, he was an amazing man. But this is what he wrote about 1 Corinthians 12. Paul was not writing to an individual member of the Church of Christ. He was writing to the whole church at Corinth. And he was telling them as a church, as a group, to desire these abilities, these charisma. Then, if they as a group would earnestly desire these things to be manifested in their midst, the Spirit would divide to every man severally as he wills, inferring that we are not all going to have the same manifestation dispensed at the same time. We might have more of a constant manifestation than others, particularly regarding a certain ministry area or a certain office, but none of us will have them all manifested at once. But we should stay in our place in the body. Be the eye, be the hand, but don't try to be all things. And then allow the abilities of God to flow through us as he chooses. Okay, well we got five minutes. I, mm. We need to talk about the elephant in the room. This is going to take a couple weeks. It's always the elephant in the room. And that's tongues. People dance around it all the time. But it is the elephant in the room. Um, it's the part that makes churches apprehensive to welcome the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Generally. Absolutely. It is the most misunderstood, detested, feared, and shunned of all the blessings and benefits of Christ. It has split denominations. John Wesley was an Anglican, but he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Anglican church split right in two, into Methodists, and into Anglicans. So the Anglican church split over John Wesley's <laughs> baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then <clears throat> the Methodist church split over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The church of God remained um, full gospel. But the United Methodists split off and cleaned things up. Made it tidy. So it's split again. And that's just our denomination. 
but it has split the body into Pentecostals and fundamentals, evangelists, uh, evangelicals, and um, through the baptism of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, so much damage has been done to the body. Why do you think? It is because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the imparting of the anointing of Jesus Christ to us, causes us to take on the attributes of the one we follow. And it is the very thing that Satan fears the most. It is the very thing that Satan fears the most. In 1 Corinthians 2, we've read this before, um, you know, had Satan known what God's plan was, he never would have crucified Jesus. But once Jesus was crucified, you know, he thought he'd done away with the one anointed human being on the face of the earth. Done. I don't have to deal with that powerful man anymore. It's over. But when he came back up out of the grave and sent the Holy Spirit, the next thing Satan knows, there are 20 little Christians, little anointed ones running around. 120. And then by the end of the day, there were 3,000 more little anointed ones who had taken on the attributes of the one they follow. There were so many little Christs running around the earth in 24 hours time that Satan was doomed. And he's not going to be able to scare the church out of it by looking like the devil in a red suit with a pitchfork. But if he can look religious, he can drive fear into the hearts of men and shut down the flow of the Holy Spirit. You would be amazed how many people in this church are spirit-filled with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit flowing through them. You would be amazed at how many of us there are. But we all got it somewhere else. We all got it outside of the Methodist church. If we'd been waiting around here, it would never happened. But the thing is, is God loves everybody so much he sent us right back into this so that this truth can get out. Um, but that's why, you know, Satan will blind you to the truth and he'll harden your heart. Okay? He will pervert the truth, meaning he'll let you rationalize. Well, you know what? My gifting is... I'm, I'm an administrator. That's my gifting. But I, I'm not... My gifting is not tongues with interpretation of tongues. My gifting is not word of knowledge or word of wisdom. That's not my gift. That's fine with the Holy Spirit. He would love for you not to be able to... You mean Satan... I mean, yeah, that's fine with Satan. He would love for us not to know that. He would love for us just to limit ourselves to one little bit. But in doing that, we become an unwilling vessel. Not on purpose. We still want to be used. It isn't that it's on purpose. But he has perverted a truth. It's still churchy. It's still in the Bible. But it's perverted enough that it has no power anymore. Then he brings fear. And Paul says, we have not been given the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I'm telling you, the church fears the power of the Holy Spirit. Really. Um, and then, then he brings ignorance and lethargy and indifference. People who just show up on Sunday. Christers, what is it? Christmas and Easters. Christers. Christers. Oh. Yeah. So he brings Christers. And all those come in. 
But there's a lethargy there. They don't want to know anymore. They just want to come in and get a sermon, go home and forget it for the week. You know, and that's fine with Satan too. He's happy with that. He doesn't mind if you go to church. And then he uses pride, self-righteousness. I know what I need and what I don't need. And so I will determine what I will and will not allow. And that is, again, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. We've made our own decisions about it. Um, so we're going to have to talk truth about tongues. We're going to have to get right down to the brass tacks of it. And that's where we're going next week. We're going to um, we'll hit, it, hit it off there. Because um, we've got to deal with it. You got to come to an understanding. When you know about it, the fear goes. It's it's what you don't know that you fear, and um, we're going to get over any fear of it and um, move on because that's what God wants. He wants us to move on. Okay, let me just pray for you here. Father, I just thank you so much for this family around this table. Thank you so much for blessing us with your word and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I just ask that every good seed sown, you would multiply it in us, that it would bring forth fruit. Lord, Holy Spirit, work on us and make us those perfect vessels, those willing, open vessels, um, more than willing to allow you to use us however you choose. Father, we, we just praise you and thank you for all good things. Um, and, and Lord, we just give you all the glory. Amen.